it's not such a good idea to talk about Hitler. Hello, and welcome to Sharing the Experience, the official podcast of the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. I'm your host, Kyle Copeland. The second show of our 2019 season was The Christians by Lucas Nath. This is a straight play about a pastor who realizes he no longer believes in a literal hell, and he delivers this uh, news in a sermon made up of four parts to his congregation. Uh, as you might imagine, the congregation uh, reacts in a number of different ways, and this play explores the ramifications that communicating such a radical idea might have on a group of people. This was really convenient for me uh, for the podcast um, because of the four parts of the sermon. So we've divided today's episode into those same four parts uh, using those same titles that Pastor Paul uses in the sermon in the show. So we've got four sections in today's episode. Part one, where are we today? Part two, a powerful urge to communicate. Part three, the fires of hell. And part four, a radical change. Part one, where are we today? I sat down with three of the stars of the show, Kashan, Casey, and Ashley, to talk about their beginnings and how far they've come in their history with theater. I'm Casey Keelan and I play the pastor's wife. I'm Kashan Parks and I play the elder named Jay. And I'm Ashley Burkhart and I play the congregate named Jenny. Well, I know since I've been doing things, I haven't done as many shows as some people have, but this is my fourth like full-length play okay. I've done. And... Um, in the four plays that I've done, it's been in three different spaces. Yeah. So a lot of location change, but every time it's always... I feel like it has like just as much amount of the impact, no matter what space that we're in. I like that. Okay, so you've been involved from the beginning. Yes, so you've a very seen, long time. You've seen a few different spaces yourself. Yeah, oh my goodness. I think this is... Our very first summer ETC was a thing. We were at Barking Lake, so we kind of just came home. No, but personally, like I have been, I have obviously been with ETC for a very long time, and I kind of grew up with ETC because I started working with Gary when I was 19, and so that's a very long time, and those are the like really formative years yeah. for your personality. Um, so I learned a lot of patience and perseverance through working with this company, and. It's had a it's had a really big impact on the person I am today. So, well, for me, um, I've only been here in Chattanooga for about four years, and so ETC was the first uh, stage I decided to come back on, and we did casting the canvas was the first thing, and I kind of just fell in love with ETC for that unique experience to be able to like take art out of the theater and take it to another place of art and kind of mesh three types of arts together, and so. Um, my experience the last four years is that Gary keeps pushing, pushing me into things I don't think I would be a part of <laughs> with ETC, yeah. but, or characters that I, I didn't see myself playing, but I've been acting since I was seven, 
So okay. it's been a, a part of my life ever since I've known how to talk. And so um, the experience here for the last four years has just been just been another growth, I guess, in my career. Well, you mentioned for a while you were out of practice mm -hmm. when you came back. What made you want to come back to the stage? Uh, I've always wanted to be on the stage. Um, my undergraduate degree is in theater, and I was headed to Chicago before I got married and had kids. So oh, wow. um, now that my kids are in high school and I have more time kind of to to be able to, to kind of invest in this, decided that I was ready to kind of get back into stage work. So. While talking with these three seasoned actors, the conversation focused on where they've been and, and how far they've come. I was curious to know how their experience with acting and with the theater uh, has changed them or, or shaped their personal lives as well. Um, well, cause it's interesting because I was just thinking about this recently. Um, I didn't really start because my high school didn't have any sort of theater thing. They just had a choir thing. If they had had a like an actual theater thing, I probably definitely would have been involved with it. But since they didn't, I didn't really get into doing theater until I went to Chet State. Um, and so it'll be 10 years this fall since I was in my first show. Oh. And I think that like, not just like, not just going and, and learning different acting techniques and diff growing as an actor has kind of also coincided with like my own, it's all kind of meshed into like the life experiences I've had mm. like going through my 20 like you know my 20s and everything and it's it, it's kind of funny because like now that I have a son this would be my first show having a son and in the show I have a son mm. and it's it's definitely more of something I can connect to a whole lot more now than I feel like I used to and so there's like extra layers that can kind of work both ways and like I can add more depth to a character I can feel more connected to a character in that way because of things that I've gone through in my life. What was your first show? Secret Garden. Okay. Mm -hmm. I played uh, well I was in the uh, the ensemble scene mm -hmm. but I also played uh, the headmistress Mrs. Winthrop so it was kind of a a mean but also like the scene that that we were in was also like really funny it got a chance to make the audience laugh and I was I remember thinking you know this is I really enjoyed making people laugh and making people experience emotion from just what I did on stage and so I was like this is something that I'm gonna want to do for a while I was just kind of thinking about what you were saying Ashley and like my very first show it was called the point of no return it's actually I think on a VHS somewhere really <laughs> somewhere <laughs> yes and I, I remember it because it was a community theater, but I was part of an African dance troupe, and this was their stage performance of, I almost feel like it was kind of like Lion King from what I can remember, you know, but it was uh, it was just about the story, it was, and I remember it was based in Africa, and it was about the story, and we danced in that show, and, and I remember thinking, even at a young age, that, you know, I would love to be able to get people to just feel something, whether it's you know, good, bad, you know, but to feel something. And, and that's really what being on stage has always been about for me, that if I can move someone to think differently or to feel something and that they go out, you know, really 
thinking of feeling good. Maybe they came in sad and we, you know, it was a happy show, not the Christians, but, you know, <laughs> happy show. And they came out, you know, happy or we just made them think. And I think that that's kind of been an underlining thing in my entire life, my career, my business that I have. Um, I've been in training and human resources and I've always, I've always wanted to touch people and make them be better than they are. It's kind of like a self-motto. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of comes in everything that I do. And my experiences on stage, they help me to touch people. And that kind of just branched off even to the career I am today. I believe that that's helped me to be where I am. That was a really good answer. Because you, no, you made me think of kind of why I wanted to do theater in the first place was to be able to tell stories that people could connect with. Yes. Especially people who don't necessarily see their story being told. And mm -hmm. I, that's why I tend to gravitate towards more um, emotional or depth with the shows I do. Because, and I just like telling stories for people who don't get their stories told. And so that's a big thing I've always wanted with theater is to help people connect and to maybe help somebody work through something through an art form. And mm -hmm. um, like with this show particularly, in my character, I've always been kind of naive when it comes to just human relationships and whether that's romantic or friendship or family. And if two people love each other, they're going to be in each other's lives. That's how it's always been. And it's not that way. And um, this show in particular, that I really had to look at that um, naivety, if that's the word I'm looking for, in myself of <clears throat> these two people love each other. Like, obviously they do, but they have this distinct difference that can't be looked past. Mm -hmm. And so they, it's just, I don't know, that's something that particularly this show has taught me and has mm -hmm. shown me a little bit more. Some of you listening might not have gotten the chance to see this particular show. This show is very thought-provoking, very somber, um, and because it is this way, the audience reaction is appropriately the same. <laughs> very somber, very quiet. Um, I asked the actors if they found it difficult to feed off of the energy in the room with this particular lack of reaction. I personally didn't find that challenging, but I also, in this kind of setting, like you said, this is a little more serious, um, and so you're not going to get that feedback, which I just do a lot of serious shows, so I'm kind of used to it. Um, but I just try to connect with the person I'm on stage with. And so if I'm connected to James, then I'm fine. They don't, I don't want to say they don't matter because obviously the audience always matters, but their reactions don't matter because yeah. his reactions are all that matter right. in that moment. And so I think when you're in a show like this, and especially we all have our one-on-one -on -one with James, mm -hmm. and so as long as I'm connected to him and he's connected to me, then I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It's going to be good. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And I actually think all of us, especially when we're on stage, like there's a... You know, Gary didn't give a direction to say, hey, you look at this person or look at that person. He just said, you know, they're abstractly there. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like if we are connected, all of us that are in the show, because it's such a small cast, you can kind of feel each other's presence. Mm -hmm. And I agree mm -hmm. with you. Your whole attention has to be on the person you're talking to, and you have to get from them. And so that's what's been really, really nice because the audience is there, but in our show, this one, they're not there. Right. And it's all about that person you're on stage with. Yeah, I think for me, it's like, it's the same thing to what you two said. Like, to, to me, I don't really like, I'm more focused on like how I feel and the energy 
of what's going on on stage because to me it almost seems like the people in the audience in, in a show like this are almost kind of like background mm -hmm. like they're not actually like like as though they're a part of the scenery and they're just they're viewing it like it's more about like the energy that we have on the stage that really like just kind of fans out I guess into the whole room mm -hmm. to finish up part one of this episode I asked Kashan, Casey and Ashley if they had any stories about how far they've come or where they are today uh, as of the recording of this interview in regard to this particular show. Um, I believe I spoke to them after their third or fourth performance. Uh, they were able to relay some funny stories and anecdotes about how the show has changed um, or maybe a couple of things that they've noticed along the way. Uh, in this section you will hear me refer to Joel Sanchez who was the stage manager for the Christians. Um, you'll hear my interview with him in part three of today's episode. And I was talking to Joel, and um, he mentioned there was there were some platforms before. Yes. Uh, yes. Chairs were oh on, yeah. And those caused some problems. Yeah. Yeah. I did a backflip off of it almost. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. then the next day they were gone. <laughs> <laughs> Sean fell off of it. Zach fell off of yes. it. Zach's was his own fault, in all fairness, because he was playing on the chair. Yes. And he was just leaning back, and you're—that's a bar stool. If you're not supposed to lean back on it, Zach. Yes. Um, and so his was his own fault. But Kashan's was not. No. And so the platforms were gone the next day, yes. and we were pretty thrilled about that. Yeah. Because these chairs are not easy to sit. Yeah. And they're very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, we've all had coffee and things, but so staying, so being on stage, that's a, a, you know, just being on stage when you're not talking and you're trying not to like attract attention to yourself and you have to cough. So every night, I think after every show, someone was like, oh, I had to cough. <laughs> and I was trying not to. So, yeah. Yeah, because you can't, once you're on stage in this show, you don't go backstage. Again. Exactly. <laughs> so you're just like, <laughs> Luckily, you guys have glasses of water. Yeah. Oh, yeah, James, bless his heart. Um, <laughs> was it yesterday? It was yesterday. I walked back, and you know I have to go get him a glass of water. Yeah. And I, I'm walking back there, and I look at the carafe, and there's only about an inch left. And I didn't see that at all at first, and I thought, I'm going to have to fake this water. <laughs> this is going to look really dumb, because people know there's water. Yeah. And so I thought Joel maybe just didn't put very much in it or something, but James admitted that during... The I sermon. The sermon, he yes. drank two straight glasses of water because <laughs> he got so dehydrated from yes. his opening monologue. Or during the prayer, he drank two glasses yes. of water. Before the show, he drank one. So before <laughs> before I'm even out here, he's drank at least three or four glasses of water out of this craft that was full. And I was like, you just, just can you slow it down maybe a little bit? Because there's going to be no water for me to give you. Yes. Yes. It was so funny. Now I'm impressed that nobody's dropped a glass yet. I know. I if I was on stage, I would grab that carafe and just mm -hmm. it would slip right out of my hand yeah. and shatter. I'm pretty impressed with our yes. ability to hold glassware. Yes. Probably because we're so focused on trying to not, not cough. Yes, <laughs> that's what it is. Exactly. It was at this point when Casey decided to share with us something she noticed about James, who played the pastor in the show. And he has bedazzled cufflinks. Yeah. He I does. I don't know if you've okay. noticed They're them. really sparkly and they're really cute. I had to grab them the yeah. other day because I was like, please let me see your wrist. <laughs> and it's it's like yellow rhinestone-y looking yes. cufflinks yes. and they're just real fancy. They are really fancy. I think I spent about five minutes when he was up there talking just while I'm sitting back there just staring just at the, the, at the shining the cufflinks. <laughs> they're so shimmery. I'm afraid they don't like catch the light. And oh, they catch something. the light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, thank it's you all again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Break legs. Thank you. Not saying the other phrase. I'm learning. Yeah. Well, we learned a little bit about what that means. Oh yeah. Really? Zach, mm-hmm. Zach told us what break legs. I don't want to say if we really you. know because I need to fact check it. Yeah. But he yeah. googled it, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's. Well, what's the prevailing theory? Um, he did, said, did you understand what he was saying? Yes, he said okay, that there was great. something about back in the day. There was like it, the the line on the end of the stage was called the leg line, and apparently, if the actors didn't get close to the leg line. They didn't get paid, so I still don't understand what the breaking leg so thing is about. If you're getting close, you're doing the job well, and you might break your leg. It's possible. Maybe. That part I have to fact check, but I guess it has something to do with that. So that's why they would tell people. We're gonna close. research this. Yeah, because I've got to research. We're gonna figure it out. Does anybody know what barking legs means? I mean, there's no. <laughs> See, I like to say bark legs or bark a leg, and no one laughs. It's pretty bad, and yeah. I like bad puns. It's, it's not bad. as bad as uh, Ryan's joke about parking. Wait, what is this joke about? We parking? need to build a par- another parking lot for the theater and call it Parking Legs. <laughs> oh my god! I actually gosh. really like that one. <laughs> you made me squeak. <laughs> Barking Legs is, of course, the venue uh, that is ETC's home. Uh, we love it there at Barking Legs, and uh, you know we, we hope to stay there for a long time. Um, that does it for part one. Thanks again to Sean, Ashley, and Casey for sitting down with me. And now for part two. Part two, a powerful urge to communicate. So there's a little bit of irony with this uh, section because um, I was sitting down with Zach and James. Uh, James Ogden, who plays the pastor, and Zach Green plays the associate pastor in the show. Um, I tried to interview everybody after a performance while we were at Barking Legs, uh, but schedules didn't really match up and Zach and James couldn't sit down together while we were at the venue. So what I had to do was find a time and a place to interview Zach and James. Um, Ironically enough, this was planned before uh, I had this dilemma to be part two, a powerful urge to communicate. So I had a powerful urge to communicate with them to try to get us all in the same building at the same time. what ended up happening was we met at the Chattanooga Public Library and we had to communicate over some background noise. Uh, the library was not as quiet as we had hoped or we had expected it to be. So uh, because of this, you'll hear me cut in and out um, between sections of this interview similarly uh, to how I did in the first part. Um, to get started, I asked each of them to introduce themselves uh, so you guys know whose voice is who, Um, and then I asked them how they prefer to communicate. Uh, I know some people prefer to text, don't call me, text me. Um, uh, Some people communicate through email only, Um, and I've got a friend who communicates with me almost exclusively through handwritten letters. Um, So I asked Zach and James what their preferred method of communication is. Zachary Green, Associate Pastor Joshua. James Ogden the pastor in person would be in the person. best way you know yeah like yeah i mean i don't really use social media i text only occasally yeah. but yeah it's yeah. not a big part of how i communicate right so. it's just better when you're yeah can yeah, read the person, read the person. Yeah. yeah for sure no they're not bored yeah. <laughs> that's what you're saying 
So in the show, Pastor Paul communicates to his church that he no longer believes in a literal hell. Um, and because he is the pastor of this church, he expects the church to fall in line with that belief. Um, so he says that the stance of the church is that we no longer believe in hell. As you might imagine, the response from the congregation is mixed. Um, needless to say, this is uncomfortable information, um, awkward to share, a little scary to get in front of a big crowd and speak in a way that's going to change someone's perception of you. I was curious as to whether either one of them had ever had to communicate bad news or uncomfortable information and how they handled that situation. I'm not a very verbally communicative person anyway, so my default would be to just not say anything. I would just find a way around having to say it. Yeah. But... I think, I think most people would be like, that when, yeah. when it comes to a situation, unless you're like yeah. super personally, like somebody died or something, you had to tell somebody that. I think otherwise you'd be like, that's not my business. I'm gonna, or yeah. maybe, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I could remember a specific example, but I, I just don't like communicate well through speech. Like that's not how my brain works. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I'm a very non-confrontational person. Oh yeah. So if I Me can... Too. If I can do it in a different way, uh-huh. without seeming like a horrible person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, me like when it when it comes to like confrontations, I, I mean, I can get so angry that I can't form words. Mm-hmm. So it's best for me to walk away because it's not going to go well for me. Or I mean, because I'm just not going to win that argument yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> so you go, you type of person that will think of something you should have said. Yeah. Later on. Sp- spirit <laughs> of the stairway, you know, you walk away. Right. The conversation eventually turned to the characters that Zach and James play in the show. Uh, James again plays Pastor Paul, the head pastor, uh, and Zach plays the associate pastor, Josh, who takes a different stance on the status of hell. Um, As such, the church splits and Josh forms a new church. I asked each of them if they had any evolution of character as they perform the show or as they went through about their process, uh, how they approached the characters, uh, and how the characters might have affected them. I really like Joshua. I think he's different than who I am. And so I really enjoyed speaking through him or him speaking through me or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and my favorite line in the show is my last line that I say, because oh. all this strife and then I say at the yeah. end of it, I'm praying for you, brother. It's, uh, it's my, it was my favorite line to deliver because it kind of wrapped it all up. Gary said it once too, it kind of like that line because I say, you're not my brother if you yeah. believe this way at the beginning. And so it was just, I enjoyed walking off saying that, yeah. knowing there was peace in my mind anyway. Yeah. And maybe yours as well. Yeah, I think it was like shifting constantly for me. Mm-hmm. The show, there's so much going on mm-hmm. in like the philosophical arguments taking place and the personal arguments taking place and there's that I was still I mean to the final performance was still kind of figuring things out and still yeah that's interesting yeah noticing stuff I hadn't noticed before or connecting things I had never connected before yeah yeah I can see that there were there were like different I remember because I had to sit there for so long and like (laughs) but I tried to pay attention to everything that was going on and be emotionally connected to everything that's happened yeah. but there were things that I would see and things that I would I would notice you doing different things on certain nights 
Like you yeah. did, you did different things the second weekend than you did the first weekend. Just different movements and the way you talk sometimes. And like I think that I didn't know that you were discovering new things like that. So yeah. I think that's where that came from. I was I was like trying to settle into kind of a routine, kind of a mm-hmm. like specific performance, but it would still shift and it would still. Yeah, I mean that's cool though. I mean yeah. that's yeah. Because you had to, I mean, you literally carried the show. <laughs> like, it was... Yeah, I mean, you're on stage. You're the only one on stage the entire time, right? And you're on stage the full show? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Zach's sitting on stage. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, that's right. But, I mean, I'm not in the scene, really. I mean, I yeah. am, but I'm in the back. There. I mean, yeah. You're, yeah. you're the central focus the entire show. Or we're the central focus, the, I can't speak. But <laughs> we're the central focus the entire show. So you had to be on the whole time. Like, I could, yeah. I could drift off. Like, yeah. I tried to be on, but I could drift off. As long as I was looking at you and whoever else was talking, I could drift somewhere else. I didn't have to pay attention. So, yeah. you had to. <laughs> <laughs> like, I grew up going to church as well, and so just trying to think about what that was like. And my my church wasn't huge, but, I mean, there was a point where they, like, did a huge renovation and built a gym and had to pay that off. And so there was some... I'm just thinking about what that experience was like, which I wasn't necessarily paying a lot of attention to as a kid, but just remembering, because there is like a very specific way that someone delivers a sermon and trying to get at that as much as I could. So listeners, I've said it before and I'll say it again, The Christians is a heavy show. Um, You go in not really knowing what to expect and uh, really you leave the same way. really sits with you. Um, it's not a very straightforward, typical layout for a straight play. Um, you know, you, you think protagonist, good guy, antagonist, bad guy. Uh, but the more you see the show, and the more you think about the show, uh, those you might have considered good guys uh, and those you might have considered bad guys may not be who you think they are. I asked Zach and James who they thought was the protagonist and the antagonist of the show. Well, I mean, I, I guess I saw uh, Paul as the antagonist, uh, James as the antagonist, okay. because yeah. from my yeah. point of view, he... Yeah, from yeah. your character's perspective. So, but I, I understood in the play that it wasn't... But, but like, it, from the church's perspective even, I think the pastor would be an antagonist, because he's going so different from what anybody else is, is preaching. Yeah. So, I kind of saw uh, Joshua as being like kind of righteous, you know, in a way of being, you know, I, I know I'm right because this is this is what yeah. this is. This is what I've always been taught, and you can't change that. This is this is this is the scripture. You know what I mean? In the Christians, a lot of a character's performance is based on their reaction to someone else on stage. Uh, in keeping with the theme of this section, a powerful urge to communicate. I asked Zach and James if they experimented with different types of reactions while they were in rehearsals or or in performances, uh, specifically on how they came up with their facial expressions to different uh, things being said on stage. No, it just felt, it just just felt like, well, as far as the facial expressions go, it just felt like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, like, why would you say, no, what? It was just completely confusion, like that somebody because I knew it was like a shock and, and the pastor Paul knew it would be a shock too coming out and saying that and so it was pretty much always that but as far as the um, 
the way we talked goes, uh, Gary like walked us through some stuff in rehearsal, and he kind of changed a lot of my perspective on the way I would deliver the yeah. lines, and the way even because when he divided it up into like sections, the first scene, yeah. and yeah. like this is the point of this section, this is the point of this, so it kind of gave me an idea of the flow of where we were going and what I would, what Josh was trying to do. On the like the body language thing, the script is written with ellipses. Mm-hmm. Really? It'll have like a character's line and then the other character won't have a response, but in the script it will give them an ellipses as their line. Okay. So it's so the script is kind of implying like you have some reaction here that is nonverbal. Um, mm-hmm. so that was really yeah, that was like going through and figuring out that yeah. What does this ellipses mean? What does this one mean? Well, I, I, feel but, like it, I feel like it gave some freedom too, and like yeah, to put you in the, the headspace a little bit because yeah, you could fill in those ellipses however you wanted to. Yeah. So as we talked about body language, it reminded me of a moment in the show when Zach is talking to James about how the church has changed his life um, and how he's come so far from where he used to be. Uh, as he's doing this, he grabs his arm, uh, pointing out, or pointing to a tattoo that he has on his arm. I asked Zach about this moment and where this moment came from. Yeah, it was it was the tattoo. Yeah, yeah the I, snake. Was, I was yeah. I was curious about that. Well, that wasn't my idea. That was Gary's idea. Okay. He wanted me to. I guess because it's a snake, or maybe just because oh. it's a tattoo. It was. Uh, the sinful, and this was a representative of Joshua's uh, past sins that he had committed, and uh, we never, I wish we would have, like, discussed that or something, like, I, we never came yeah, up with anything. really specific about that it. That would have been cool. Well, but it's, it's, it implies so much, because I've been to a few churches where, you know, tattooing is, having tattoos is, your, your body's a temple, you don't yeah. Yeah, 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 your, yeah, your body yeah. like that. <laughs> I didn't know if that's where it was going, or if that was well, kind of, reference to well, I guess kind of, but but this is before Josh came to the church right. that he would have done all this. So maybe the tattoo meant something else. Yeah, before that. just his dark past. Somehow the topic of the tattoo got us on the conversation of wardrobe and how a character's clothing choice or um, accessories might communicate a certain persona to the audience, uh, which gave me the perfect opportunity to ask about these infamous cufflinks. I've heard about a certain pair of bedazzled cufflinks that made quite a story. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a story about those? Or um, those yours? Those were Gary's. Ah. He um, I was wearing a French cuff shirt, and so I needed cufflinks. And Gary made some out of buttons, but the only buttons he had when he was making it were, like, shiny gold rhinestone... Oh my god, you were they doing were, the show? You were yeah. I did not notice that at all. Oh my god, yeah. that's awesome. They were incredibly sparkly. Yeah. Like, no one ever mentioned this, we never talked about this, but I liked that your costume was very, like, plain. Mm-hmm. Just like the sweater vest, and then I was in, like, French cuffs yeah, and a yeah. three-piece suit. Yeah, yeah, and, like, yeah. It was, the jacket. That contrast was interesting. Yeah, I agree. It was, agree. because, you know, a lot of times the associate pastor involved in the, with the youth in some way. And I know yeah. Josh, there was a little bit of a story about him taking the younger members of the church and going out into the street and causing some commotion. Yeah, calling people but, out of sinners, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, you know, you when you see that at a church, it's exactly like, like, like khaki pants. Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a polo or something. Perfect. 
So right there, if you can hear me above the rumble of the library, uh, you may have noticed that I referenced a, a moment in the script where we talk about Pastor Associate Pastor Josh taking the youth group out, um, calling people sinners on the street as part of their outreach, and how this was a controversial moment. Um, I've personally seen this in uh, in my personal life. I've um, experienced different churches. Um, confronting people in this way. I was curious to know if either Zach or James had been on either end of such a technique um, and how effective this may or may not have been. Yeah, I have two, I have two stories. Yeah. <laughs> well, the one, the first one's not, I was just at a huddle house with some people and I don't even remember what we were talking about, but one of the guys, there was, it was a couple of friends and then a couple of friends of friends. And one of the guys was a big church guy. And he asked me that exact same question. And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, no, you'll be going to hell. And he gave me the whole spiel about, you know, this and that. <laughs> but on the second side of that, I went, I was hitchhiking uh, back in 2012. Okay, and I was in Leavenworth, Kansas. And this family had took me in for like a weekend, basically. I stayed like three or four days. I mowed yards with the, the dude. Anyway, the point thing is I, I felt like so kind to them and connected to them that I was like, my last day, I'm going to your church. Okay, y'all are big church people, I'm going to come to your church. So I go to the church, and the, the, the bishop knows about my story, he brings me up. Okay, and they're trying, I was trying to go to Seattle to get on a plane, to get on a fishing boat, none of that worked out. Anyway, but he's like, we can't do that, but we're going to tell everybody what's up. And then he tells everybody the story, and he goes, have you, have you been saved? And I said, no. And he goes, could we, could we do that now? And I'm in front of the whole church. I go, no, no. <laughs> and he goes, could we pray for you? And I said, yeah. And so they did that. And that was okay. But like. It's so uncomfortable. It was. It's, it was. Like, it's like public proposals. Right? It's, it's a very similar thing oh, yeah. of like. The pressure. How do you, you, you yeah. want to say yes. There's like, there is an expected answer. And you're in front of a lot of people yeah. who are expecting a certain answer. Like, it's a a lot of pressure to put someone under mm -hmm. yeah. but if you say yes you're stuck right yeah. I mean, you can't you can't and that's I don't think you can lie in that situation no I mean I don't have any specific stories about that the little tracts yeah. that's always interesting finding those in <laughs> oh, yeah. the locker room of Planet Fitness <laughs> so this led to a follow-up question of do you think it would be easier to convert into a religion or to leave a religion? I think it'd be easier to convert. Uh, From outside. It seems like they accept people in pretty easily if you if you really want to do it. Yeah. I, I, I guess you could leave if you wanted to, they're not gonna stop you, but I think there would be a lot of, you would probably lose some people, you know? Whereas the other way you might gain people. Right. So. Thus concludes part two, a powerful urge to communicate. Uh, thank you again, Zach and James, for satisfying my urge to communicate and sitting down and talking with me. Now for part three. Part three is called The Fires of Hell. Yeah, heavy stuff. Not really. Uh, for this section, I sat down with our stage manager, Joel Sanchez. All right. Yes. So I'm sitting here in Barking Lakes Theater with Joel Sanchez. I'm kind of the resident stage manager of ETC. For now. For now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I divided this episode into four parts, based on the four parts of the sermon. Yes. Um, 
Esther, all preachers in the show. Um, your section is the fires of hell. So uh, it's going to be an intense <laughs> interview. <laughs> no, that's why it's a little more. right. <laughs> um, we are in the theater a little early. Uh, Joel gets here to do his stage manager duties. Can you tell us a little more about what you do before a show? Um, with this show specifically, there's not much to do. Mm -hmm. um, there's very few props, um, very hands-free um, in that regard. Um, but normally, I like getting here before anybody's here, even before the call time. I've been two shows that I've stage managed. Sometimes I'm an hour before call time just to get a feel for the space for the day, um, just to kind of rein in and focus on, okay, this is what I need to do, yada, yada, yada. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so with the, the theme of Fires of Hell, um, I picked that that one for you because uh, I'm thinking Trial by Fire uh, with ETC being kind of a smaller company right now, yeah. working our way up to being a, the professional theater company in the area. Yes. Um, you may be asked to do a lot more than you might expect up front. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know, like, with me, um, I didn't expect to be doing a podcast or yeah. being involved in as many shows. Um, but it's, you know, it's definitely something that um, requires a lot of hard work. Yeah. Um, could you tell me about your experience and how you got pulled into being such a huge part of the, <laughs> of the yeah, company? Yeah, um, it started back two seasons ago, I believe. Okay. Um, towards the tail end of their season, they were doing Crimes of the Heart. And I had a friend who was doing their following show, Driving Miss Daisy. She was Aletha Plot playing Miss Daisy. Okay. Um, and I knew her through my high school and through uh, DLT in Dalton. Um, and she was like, well, I know they need a stage manager for Crimes of the Heart, um, or for Driving Miss Daisy. And so she kind of put me in contact, gave me the contact information, and I contacted, I think it was Casey. And I sent in my resume, and I was like, hey, I want to do this. Um, and she was like, well, come on board um, to be assistant stage manager to Crimes of the Heart to in preparation to see how, if they like me, if I like them, you right. know, that kind of trial and error. Um, and then I just fell in love with the people and the family that it is here. Well, tell us more about what a stage manager does. As someone outside of the theater world, mm -hmm. um, such as myself, I'm kind of fairly new to this whole mm -hmm. world. I've been doing stage managing since like high school too. Okay. Um, so depending on what show and who I'm working with, the responsibilities can be very general in the sense of making sure the props are where they need to be before the show, um, to worrying about every little thing. Right. Um, sometimes I'll do shows where I'm acting as well as being the stage manager. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, I sometimes wear a lot of hats. Um, <laughs> so you have to set your own, like, yeah, props for yourself and, with and that, people. Mm -hmm. And then with that, I have to worry about where everything is. I basically memorize the entire show. 
somehow. Um, and I worry about um, the props, the lights, uh, safety concerns sometimes. Um, whether it's um, just practical things like taping down cables or um, bigger things. Um, for example, with the show, there was slight hesitations with um, what the original set looked like just because the chairs were a little up higher. Um, and I talked to Gary because I was like, because the first night we were in the space rehearsing, uh, two times someone almost fell over. Oh no! Yeah, off the chairs. Uh, yeah, off off the platform. Oh, the no. chair was on. So, I was like, Gary, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he ended up uh, striking those little platforms that the chairs were on. Uh, just because my main concern, even when I'm not stage managing a show and I'm like the most distant I can be from the production, my main concern is the safety of everyone involved. Well. You know, everything has to be in the exact proper place as far as yeah. props set mm -hmm. and things that could cause safety hazards. Mm -hmm. I mean, backstage is dark. Mm -hmm. um, people trust that items are going to be where, where they're they supposed to be. To be. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. um, now, you said you, you also manage the lighting. Yes, part. yes. Talk more With, about that. Um, mainly, and... Actually, lighting is pretty new to my stage management stuff. Yeah. Um, just because in high school and with other uh, companies that I've worked with, there's someone else that does lights, and then I worry about the stage itself, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Um, so learning lights has actually been kind of fun, and I really, really like it sometimes, especially with, like, Shows that do have a lot of light cues. Yeah, it's intimidating sometimes. Sure, um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, some some shows I mess things up, but I try to mess them up in a way that no one notices. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, and sometimes my friends will come see the show and be like, "Did you notice the light there?" And I'll be like, "No." And I'm like, "Okay, great, great." Yeah, it's all good. But I really like even with um, the system we have here where it's um, based on, like, the sliders versus just hitting a button and it automatically goes to the next sliding cue. Um, I like that just because it feels more organic and even more artistic in a sense. Mm -hmm. If someone's being um, a little bit more dramatic than a previous night, um, I can adjust the lighting slightly yeah. uh, enough to where it pulls them more into the focus. Um and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the first things I noticed about stage managing when I got involved with DTC was at rehearsal, they were giving cues or reading lines to people that weren't there. Yeah. And as you mentioned before, you basically have to know the show front to back, yes. every little bit. Mm -hmm. When you're acting in a show uh, or performing, sometimes you don't have to be aware of every mm -hmm. single thing that's going on, mm -hmm. but you have to know the entire story, all of yeah. the... It's basically you have to memorize everybody else's part yeah, <laughs> and be of. able to in rehearsal help people learn mm -hmm. but also like you mentioned adjust to people yeah. during the show if, if needed I don't know I guess my process is to just um, write lots of notes yeah um, okay. some of them 
I later cannot read. But um, definitely, like, I have an actual little notebook. Uh, or technically, it's a sketchbook. Um, but I like the blank pages because it helps me if I need to draw something or whatever. Yeah. Um, specific for theater. Um, I have, like, two now because I've filled one up. Um, yeah. Um, but I write um, little things. Um, and I do, like, the big uh, like stage pictures or set pictures just to um, remember where the actors are and everything. And I always try to work towards, even though I have a written copy of, okay, here's what I need to set, here's what I need to worry about, here's my cues. Um, by the time the show is closing or in the last weekend or whatever, um, or even opening night, I'll have all that memorized and internalized that I have that list just as a reminder in case I forget something, yeah. but normally um, I'll be like, okay, I know all the props in the show, I know where they need to be, even if it's two props or like 50 props, yeah. somehow I manage to internalize all of that. That's um, incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, from the moment someone walks into the theater, their experience is defined by how well the stage manager is doing their job. I mean, you're really managing the entire space mm -hmm. and the entire production. Yeah. So you spend a lot of time... Which, which sometimes can be a little daunting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I know you, you stage managed Sideshow, the largest cast we've ever had. Um, and that was a huge undertaking. And I don't know, for me, the second, even though Gary was like, oh, wow, this is going to be like really big, it's going to be our biggest show was completely unfazed by that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, like, I've done shows, like, um, at the Colonnade, uh, where we had, like, close to 100 people, little kids, everyone, oh, every age. Um, and so, I don't know, I was kind of like, oh, okay, it's gonna be fine. Yeah. It may work. Um, so with that, like, I don't know, how big something is, the scale of it doesn't scare me. Okay. That's a good uh, attitude yeah. to have. Mm -hmm. Well, you spend a lot of time learning the shows, learning mm -hmm. the, the scripts, obviously. Do you feel a connection with this show at all? Or is there a show in the past that really... I, I, I'd imagine immersing mm -hmm. yourself so fully in the entire production can sometimes weigh heavily on a, on a person's yeah, um, mental state. <laughs> There was this one time, it's the only time I've directed a show. Okay. Uh, it was my high school senior year. We were doing Beauty and the Beast. Okay. It's a great, great I show. was stage managing. I was <laughs> the director. I was playing Cogsworth. Wow. I was doing makeup design, set design, um, everything under the sun. <laughs> On top of that, having regular classes and also having like college level classes um had a couple months of breakdowns <laughs> um, yeah it was it was and that's probably why something doesn't scare me anymore just because uh -huh. i was like okay i've had a mental breakdown i'm fine yeah. it's okay that's the worst that could happen yeah <laughs> um but just of having so much to do with that show um just because the director that we had, um, she was having health complications, and so immediately, without even thinking, I was like, well, 
I can help. I can, you know, tell me how I can help. And I ended up directing a good chunk of the show. Um, and I don't know, that affected me a lot, especially also on top of being the last show my senior year of high school. Yeah, and, emotions are high. Yeah. Um, and lots of tears. Yeah. I cried over everybody. <laughs> um, especially the last show. I was, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. It, there's always kind of a feeling of emptiness after finishing a show, and mm-hmm. I, can, I can only imagine how, from a stage manager's perspective, uh-huh. that feeling of the empty theater yeah. on the last day after the last performance. Yeah. <laughs> And oh. e- and even with like smaller casted shows like the Christians, um, it's it's interesting to see, um, and I guess this is also part of why I like to come in early when it's in quiet empty theater. Um, I get to see the energy just even in the room, just liven up to you know these great actors just coming in, walking in from whatever life has brought them that day um to put their hearts out on stage and just um create something out of nothing out of words on a paper and then just at the end of the day it's just a quiet building yeah once again so yeah that's really cool Mm -hmm. you can see joel in action as officer barrel in etc's upcoming production of you're in town Okay, we have reached the last segment of our program, uh, part four, entitled Radical Change. Uh, we are ending this episode in the same way we ended the last episode, uh, with Gary Posey. Uh, Gary also directed The Christians, as he did with Sideshow. Uh, so to kick off our conversation about radical change, uh, I asked Gary about changes he's experienced in his own life, and he actually had a story that related back to the show uh, regarding a split in a church that he experienced. Well, so, um, I guess, briefly, my church uh, or Christianity or religion, my history with that is that, you know, from birth up until I was about 13 or 14 years old, I, um, every Wednesday, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every fifth Sunday dinner, every teen singing Sunday afternoon, whatever, what have you, um, growing up in, in the church, and that was just my life, and that's, you know, my family life, and that was, everything was fine, and then um, around 13, 14, 15, there, I, the best way that I described it then to friends, and that I, I guess to describe it now, there was just a, a little voice in my head that was like, um, don't go to church don't go to church anymore. And of course, some of my friends and my family were like, oh, that's the devil talking. Mm-hmm. Pay no attention to him. And I don't know, maybe it was a devil talking. I have no idea. But there was a, an interesting voice. So I stopped going to church with my family um, pretty much out of, you know, just teenage rebellion. You know, I wouldn't wake up on Sunday mornings and I'd conveniently plan something on Wednesday nights. And um, so I stopped going to church with my family. And... Um, the church that we went to, where my mom and dad and uh, family went to, all of a sudden uh, um, there was like a mass exodus of an entire group of people from that congregation uh, to another congregation in Chattanooga. And 
I, I was like, this is so bizarre because I thought everyone was happy there and everything was great and everything was, was all uh, kinds of, um, was all kinds of good. And I, and, and I've always wondered what that was about. And, and I remember a couple of years ago trying to get my mom to explain it to me um, because I mean, literally like people that had changed my diapers, you know, that I grew up with had been a part of that church at that time for 30 or 40 years, mm. ended up moving churches and to this. And, and I was like, so what, what happened with that? And, uh, and it, it was all about, you know, some kind of disagreement over leadership that, you know, um, someone wanted to be made a deacon and had a right to be or whatever and then but someone didn't want that person to be a deacon and then they wanted this other person and then there was this whole big disagreement about church leadership and i remember thinking when she told me the story a couple of years ago i was like that doesn't sound very christian like to me like what and that's not to insult any of those people or my mother i my mother is a christian and 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 I, I, she's, her faith is important to her, and I respect that. But anyway, I rem- remember going to one church service, and it had to have been right around uh, when Ellen came out okay. on television, on her sitcom. And I remember enjoy, I enjoyed watching Ellen. I had, I, there was nothing gay, I didn't even, I couldn't even define the word gay at the time. Uh, but I remember the, the preacher uh, from the pulpit talking about how, um, you know, the homosexuals were invading your house through your television and, you know, all of this, you know, and they're, they're everywhere and you can't, you just, yeah. and I remember thinking to myself, I mean, I, I wasn't out of the closet, but I remember thinking, God, that's just, just so like, what, <laughs> you yeah. know? And then I had, you know, one of my best friends in high school, her father was a rabbi at one of the local um, synagogues. And, uh, and I had a couple of friends who were Catholic and a couple of friends who were, God forbid, Baptists, you know. And, <laughs> and I remember thinking, you know, I, I remember asking my mom, so are, are they going to heaven? And she would be like, no, they're not going to heaven because they are not following the Bible. And I'm like, who says what the rules are? And the Bible says what the rules are, Gary. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, I guess when I was reading the Bible, I didn't find specific rules about who was going to heaven and who wasn't going to heaven. Maybe I was too tired and not really comprehending it. I have no idea. But, um, but I was like, I just don't think it would be fair. You know, that there was just this mental block about how, how it, someone could stand at a pulpit and have such control over an entire group of people. And, and I don't think it's malicious. Well, I think it can be. Uh, but I didn't think that the preachers that, you know, I had listened to growing up, and certainly this one, pre- you know, hell and brimstone to homosexuals, I don't think there was anything malicious about uh, his message. I mean, you know, at the time, I, I wouldn't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I kept thinking, you know, how, how can you just allow one person to tell you what you believe? And I have all these questions, and I'll ask them, and I don't get any answers to them. One of the big lines for me in the show is when the pastor says to the the elder I don't want that responsibility and and I'm like oh my god I, I can relate so much to not wanting the responsibility because that's just a real difficult it's a lot of pressure <laughs> you know I asked Gary to clarify what he meant when he said he could relate to that line in the show about not wanting responsibility this is his response I never got into theater or even saw ETC as, you know, my 
path to fame or fortune or glory or anything like that. I honestly was like, you know, um, I just want to do things that I would like to do and, and bring people in to help do them and have fun doing them. And so, you know, and that it's turned into this thing that, you know, people will stop me on the side of the street or, you know, I was doing a talking with someone the other day and they're like, God, you don't even know, like, like we use ETC as, as like, you know, a, a big feather in our hats, you know, uh, barking legs, you know, Marcus mm -hmm. was saying, you know, we use you as, you know, as, as a, a gloating point, you know, when we're mm -hmm. talking to other people in the community and I'm like, really? People have said, it's, I'm glad you're doing this show. This show is probably a show that needs to be done in this town, but sure. I don't think that we could produce it. You know, and I'm thinking, why? Like, it doesn't, I, and, and this is, maybe this is my naivety, or maybe this is my elitism. Maybe it's both, my naivety, my naive elitism, I don't know. But that's all theater is, is sharing a story. And for me, that's, that's what makes it so magical. Gary and I continued to talk about the Christians and the impact that it has had on those who have seen the show. Now, this story doesn't really end like you might expect. In fact, the story doesn't really end at all. Of course, the play ends, but the story doesn't really resolve. I asked Gary how he felt about that. Again, going back to the first time, and I read this play, it's one of those that I couldn't put down. Yeah. And, and, I, and I know when I get a new script in, and I can't put it, I can't put it down the first reading, then it's probably going to get done, because yeah. that's just how I work, you yeah. know? Um, but I remember, I remember thinking, when I got to the end, I was like, whoa not what I expected. Right. It doesn't... Not what I... I did not <laughs> think he would be... I didn't think he would be left alone, yeah. A, and I didn't think that he would still be going on, B, you know? And, mm. like, there's... It was going to... He wasn't giving up on what he believed, which I loved. Yes. I did. I thought, you know, maintaining, you know, your, you know, being firm in your belief and... But then also, you know, Josh was like, show me, yeah. show me that you're right. Show me that what you're saying is, is the truth and the, and the light and the everything. And he goes, I can't show you what doesn't exist. And I'm like, isn't that's faith. That is faith. I can't show you what doesn't exist. And, you know, um, I, you know, I can't prove to my mother or people who don't, buy into the, the idea of homosexuality being, you know, how we're born. Right. You know, I can't show you that. I can't right. prove to you that it wasn't a choice. Reminds me of a conversation with Joel earlier um, about how a person's experience in this theater or in a theater for any show starts the minute they walk in the door. Um, and, you know, as you said, it can go with people as they leave. Yeah. Too. I think it has to. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the one of the, the the beauties of theater versus film. Um and there and one of the trends in live theater now is that the the main drape isn't used as often. Um or spaces don't even have a main drape like here at Parking Legs, mm -hmm. you know, it's you walk in and you see a space, you know. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, because from the moment that you walk into the building or into the theater proper, you have to be transported somewhere. And I think it's our job as artists, whether it be by 
the music we choose or the settings that we put up in front of people or how we present the uh, the auditorium or the space you know to start the story then mm -hmm. and if the story starts before the actors start talking then it should definitely end long after the actors have finished talking about this time we got to the question that i really wanted to ask gary what does a radical change look like for ensemble theater at chattanooga again it goes back to the perception of success mm -hmm. and and there is an end goal that we keep working towards. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I wonder if we've spent more time trying to establish what we aren't instead of embracing what we are. Um, you know, uh, it's a saturated market for theater in Chattanooga. It really is. But, it's, it's all community driven. And, and again, I, I think so. I'm a big proponent of community theater. I think it's yeah. important. I think it's necessary. I think it, it, it's, it's good for culture. It's good for, it's good for, um, for uh, people to experience, enjoy, participate in, whatnot. We see something that we want ETC to be something more than that. And, you know, are we so, uh, naive or elitist to believe that Chattanooga wants that. What makes us important? And, and you know, and there are some shows that, you know, I mean, our average house size, and this is happy for us, you know, our average house size is like 22 to 30. And we love that. That's, yeah. I mean, that's a good night. I mean, tonight we had, what, like 15 mm -hmm. people in the audience and we're like, woo -hoo! Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's awesome. And it's not like woohoo because we don't like people to see our work. Yeah. You know, it's woohoo because of the people that are seeing our work, you know? Right. One of the things that I struggle with is um, knowing who our stakeholders are. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, there are, there are the, those of us that come to uh, participate in every production, you know, and then there, there are people that come and see every show, but to what extent are they actually stakeholders in ETC? Right. How much stake do they want to hold in ETC? We've done so many amazing things in the last 12 years. We've brought theater to Chattanooga that probably would have never shown its face here. We've introduced playwrights to the area that people may never have known. Um, we've, had, we've given experiences to actors that they probably would have never gotten in any other, any other market. Um, is that enough? I think what I, what I need, what Gary needs, what producer Gary needs, is to know that there are a lot of other people that want to see us to get to the end because I'm not having the, as much confidence in my, in, in the journey that I started, my ideas, my, um, my, my thoughts, my, I'm not trusting myself as much as I was 12 years ago, you know, and, and I'm wondering if that's because I'm getting older or tired or, or or I don't know what it is but or maybe it's because I there's a lot more writing on it's not just you know if ETC succeeds or fails it affects a lot more than just me that's Gary Posey thanks again for closing out the show Gary and you know we at ETC do want to make this radical change. We want to know what you want to see from us. 
So follow us on Facebook and Instagram and comment, send us a direct message. Let us know what you want to see. Let us know your experience. We would really love to hear from you. Okay, well that about does it for today's episode. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to come see ETC's next production, You're in Town, the musical, opening June 14th. Sharing the Experience is the official podcast of the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. I'm your host, resident percussionist Kyle Copeland. Theme music provided by Phenomenex.